Please turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, verses, uh, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 7. As is the tradition here, why one of my favorite traditions, is, it's become a tradition, is, is kind of breaking from the series that we're on when December gets here, and just spend four Sundays, uh, call it Advent, call it Christmas season, whatever you want to call it, but just a, a time to have four services that just celebrate uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. And so that's what uh, we want to do uh, during this month of December. So we will, uh, we will have that theme. I would encourage you, um, all the research shows that people, your friends, your family are more likely to come to church during this time of year if you ask them than any other time. So think about that. Think about inviting your friends and family to one of these special services so that they may hear the gospel, so that they can see the king celebrated and, and maybe respond to his wonderful gospel. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David, uh, on the thr- on the throne of David, and forever and and over his kingdom, sorry, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah is a, is a book written to a rebellious people. Uh, Israel is not doing well. They're not doing good things. Uh, they're not in love with God. Their hearts are split into a million different directions. And so uh, Isaiah is written about the judgment of God, that the Assyrians are coming uh, and are beginning to enslave the people of Israel. And, and, uh, and, and it's a book that says, this is why this is happening, because you are like you are. But in the midst of all of that, of, of present, uh, present rebellion and present uh, acknowledgement of punishment, there's also great hope given that one day there is coming a Messiah, there's coming the King that is going to forever, ever deliver the people of God. And in verse 6, and what we have here is, uh, in verses 6 and 7, we have a very kingly uh, uh, message here, right? It said, talks about uh, that, that Christ, that, that the coming Messiah will sit on the throne of David, and that there will be a kingdom that will not end, that, there, that the governments and everything else will be done away with uh, under the foot of King David. Jesus. And what we have in verse 6 is four names given of this king. And I think what this is, it's a description of, of what kind of king Jesus is. And so that's what we're going to be looking at uh, in these four Christmas services. Wonderful Counselor is what we'll look at today. Mighty God the next week and Everlasting Father the next week and then on Christmas Day. Uh, Brother Josh will be talking to us about the Prince of Peace. So this morning we want to talk about Jesus as the Wonderful Counselor. 
Uh, now, over the last seven or eight, nine years in my ministry, this, this word has taken on a whole new meaning because I've become more uh, of a counseling pastor. Uh, that I love to speak the Word of God in the pulpit, but I also love to sit down one-on-one with, with couples and, and, and people that are facing suffering and, and talk to them and minister the God, God's Word through uh, counseling. And I'm the most unlikely pastor to have ever become a, a counseling-type pastor. Uh, when I was in, uh, in, in Bible college, I hated my counseling classes. I wanted theology. Give me theology and teach me how to preach from the pulpit. I do not want to get in people's problems. I don't want to sit there and, and deal with somebody crying in my office and have to talk to them about their feelings. That's not how I'm wired. That's not who I want to be. It's so bad that when I went to seminary, you can transfer about nine hours of credit uh, from, your, from your bachelor degree to your master's. It gets so bad that I I transferred all my counseling credit so I wouldn't have to take any counseling in seminary. I just didn't want any of that stuff. But what God began to do in my heart over the tragedies that our church faced over the last 10 years and and, and, and great loss that we've experienced among uh, the pastors that served here, uh, God just turned my heart. He said, look, man, the pulpit is great. Theology is great, but... Are you able to communicate that theology in your counseling office? When someone comes to you that's facing unbelievable circumstances, are you able to, to take that high theology that you learned in college and are you able to apply it to someone's addiction? Are you able to apply it to someone's struggling marriage? And the answer was no. And so that's when I began my certification process of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Uh, and, and became uh, certified in counseling, and that has become uh, part of what I do here at Wyatt, uh, not just on Sundays, administering the Word from the pulpit, but administering the Word one-on-one. And so this is very important to me when I think about God as a wonderful counselor, because that's one of the things that turned my heart as well. I realized that God is a counselor. He is one that comes to us in our time of need and provides great guidance to us. Now, I understand here that Jesus is not your therapist, okay? When it says wonderful counselor, it's not talking about you get on a couch and and Jesus talks to you uh, about your feelings. What we need to understand when it says wonderful counselor, what that's speaking of is a wise king, a a wise king with authority to, to help guide you, to tell you what directions you need to go in your life, even and especially in your deepest moments of need. And so I want to speak to you this morning on, uh, first, the need for a counselor, the nature of the counselor, and the nurture of the counselor. First, the need of the counselor. Uh, It is in a time of need that people normally want counseling. They want help. I don't have people coming by my office saying, I need to meet with you. Things are awesome. My marriage is perfect. Can you help me with it? That's that's just not the reality. We go uh, to, to find help in time of need from counselors when there is a time of struggle in our life. Someone, we need someone to command our way, 
Isaiah was called to speak truth to a people that were in a bad place, people that were uh, in rebellion, and it was causing them all kinds of pain and struggle. First, we see we see a lot of things in in uh, in Isaiah that was wrong with what was going on with the people of Israel. But we want to zero in on four things. For one thing, there was a uh, they were lost in heartless religious ritual from the from the onset of chapter one. Jesus lays uh, God lays down the very important fact in, in, in to him of what Israel was doing, and that was. I see you down there. You're making sacrifices. You're doing all the stuff that you're supposed to do around the temple. But what I see when I look upon your hearts, your heart's not in it. You're just doing empty ritual and you're going about your day. After you go make your sacrifice, you're going and you're sinning and you're doing all kinds of evil. It's all ritual. It's not real. This is what he says in verse 1. Not, uh, in ver- uh, chapter 1, verse 13. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. I can't endure iniquity, your sin, and then you try to come and be solemn as if you care about holiness. That doesn't, I'm tired of it. You can't mix sin and holiness in your life. God was done with having people who had no relationship with him, but just went through the motions. How often do we do the same thing? How often do we just, we come to church, we dress up, we even sing the songs and we, 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 we act like we're praying the prayers. We act like we're listening to the sermon. But the rest of our week, God doesn't exist. We sin and we don't care And we just do our own thing and then we come on Sunday and then we do ritual. We do our ritual because that's what we're supposed to do, but our hearts are not in it. And when our hearts are not in it, God doesn't want it. We see that Israel was lost in idolatry. They were lost in idolatry. Uh, Chapter 31 verse 6 says, Turn to him from whom people have deeply... uh, the people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day, everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. Like, isn't it, isn't it just amazing that they were going about the religious rituals of serving the one true God, but the reality is if you went to their house, you would find all kinds of trinkets. You would find idols. You would find idols above their fireplace and and on display in their house despite the fact that they would go to the temple and act like they were worshiping the one true God. But we live in a world that's very similar. It just looks a little different, right? We don't have trinkets of gold. We have have our hobbies. We uh, We have our sports teams. Uh, I love going down to Baton Rouge uh, and seeing a game in Tiger Stadium. I love it. Uh, I love to take my kids. There's a video that they love that they show. They've been showing it for years, 
And I love most of the video, but then I cringe at this one moment. The quote is this. It's describing what what, uh, Saturday night in Tiger Stadium is like. And they say this. It is the cathedral of college football. And worship happens here. And I just cringe. Is God going to strike us all down for being in here talking about worship happens here? And I know most of you are Hog fans and y'all are all Christians and that never happens in your stadium. You never place, you never tempted to worship the Hogs. But at least they're, they admit what happens every Saturday and what happens on Sunday. I mean, our, our teams of 18-year-olds and 19, 20-year-olds no more ridiculous than, a, than worshiping a gold figure that we've made. We are people that are so tempted to have an un, an, a very much divided heart where we come and we, yeah, we worship God on Sundays, but the rest of the week, there's thousands of other things. We worship our job, we worship money, we worship so many other things besides the one true God. And so we are in need of a wonderful counselor just like Israel was. They were lost in putting their trust in man. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 31, verse 1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Israel was looking for help among man, among earthly powers. And we just got done with an election, right? And let's be honest, many, many were saying, my life depends on this person getting elected. That if this particular person doesn't get, whichever person that was for you, if this person doesn't get elected, my life's over. And we just put so much stock in the power of the government that we somehow forget the fact that God is still on His throne no matter who is elected. That we should consult the Lord, as this verse says, not man. We don't need to act like our only hope rests in the United States or anything of that nature. Our hope rests in the God above. Let us not be caught up in trusting in government powers like Israel was. They were lost because they had no good counselors. You know, what about the priest? What about the prophets? Where, I mean, weren't there people in Israel that were trying to guide the people, good counselors, telling them this is the way you should go? In chapter 28, verse 7, we're told about the priests and the prophets. It says, the priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They Real in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. Eight, verse 8, I, it's hard for me to even read. For all tables are full of filthy vomit with no place left. That's a problem. When your priests are so 
drunk with wine constantly that they're throwing up that there's nowhere else to throw up. And you're supposed to be looking for them for spiritual guidance. They were a people. Israel was a people without good counselors guiding them in the way that they should go, which is the way of God. And so they were people just like us in need of, of, of someone to come. A counselor, but not just a counselor. A wonderful counselor. And I want us to look at the nature of that counselor. He is wonderful. Now wonderful is a word. We throw that word around. That cobbler was wonderful. You know, that, man, that dress looks wonderful. Not man, that dress looks wonderful. But uh, ma'am, that dress looks wonderful. In our day and time, you never know. And we throw that word, wonderful, oh, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. I mean, but but the, the real root of the word is awe-inspiring, is, is so filled with wonder, your mind can't possibly comprehend what you are observing. And that is what the Scriptures tell us about our Counselor in Christ, that He is wonderful that he is a being uh, that lived on this earth and and now lives in heaven waiting to return and through all of that at every moment he is wonderful we see it throughout his life people were struck with wonder at his birth right at his birth that they just at first it seemed so ordinary it's just a a baby in a manger in a barn. No, no room for him in the inn. I mean, it's just ordinary. And yet, out in the fields, the angel, the multitude of angels scared the death out of shepherds, terrified them and said, hey, but fear not, you need to go see what's happening in the manger. Go. So all these dirty shepherds come from the fields to, to just look at and just be, be filled with wonder at what laid there. And there's discrepancy. We don't know how long it took the wise men to come, but eventually the wise men got there. Very unlike the shepherds. not Shepherds uneducated, dirty, blue-collar guys. The wise men came and likely kings from afar that had been told there's something special, something wonderful happening in the town of Bethlehem. And they came and they brought these expensive gifts to lay down. And what was Mary's response in, in Luke? She says, it, she, as she saw these things, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Her heart was filled with wonder. The shepherds' hearts were filled with wonder. The wise kings from afar were filled with wonder. People were struck by the wonder of his teaching as well. That time and time again we see people are either just amazed at what he's saying or they're so mad at what he's saying that they're picking up stones to stone him. That his teaching so often times was something 
that people had trouble comprehending in their minds. And it started young, at the very beginning when he was 12 years old, and they go to Jerusalem. And what happens? Mary and Joseph lose him. Now, I've, I've lost my kids for minutes before. And it is the most terrifying thing, you know, just minutes not being able to figure out where your child is. And for three days they had lost Jesus. And he was, he was the Son of God, right? <laughs> oh my goodness, we've lost the Son of God. But he was not lost. He was there in the temple and he was teaching. And Luke 2.47 uh, says this, And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. The wisest, the temple people were sitting there going, this 12-year-old is filling us full of wonder. They were amazed. And people, of course, were struck by his wonder, wonder, uh, the wonder of his miracles. We see the amazement of people that were healed from disease. After the paraplegic picked up his mat and walked away, the reaction was this, and amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. They knew that this was a wonderful counselor, a wonderful king. They couldn't comprehend what they had seen. After the miraculous catch of fish, what is Peter's response? Is Peter's response, cool trick, Jesus? It's awesome, do it again. He was so moved with wonder that he said in Luke 5, 8, depart from me, for I am a sinful Man, oh Lord. It wasn't a cool trick. It was, I can't comprehend what I just saw, and I'm a sinful man, not even worthy of the presence of such a man of wonder. And we also see that people were struck with wonder at his death and his resurrection. Even a Roman centurion. We had no connection that we know of of Jewish teaching or the promised Messiah. But what he saw there as he set, stood at the foot of the cross made him say this in Matthew 27, 54. When the centurion and those who were with, them, with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with all and said, they were filled with awe, and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. He was striking, striking wonder into the hearts of absolute unbelieving centurions. And after, the mirac- uh, after uh, Jesus was risen, and after they, uh, the, they, the ladies found the empty tomb, it says, uh, in Matthew 28, 8, they, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear 
and great joy. See, that's, that's Christ right there. With fear and great joy. And ran to tell His disciples. Folks, we serve a wonderful Counselor. Amen? Amen? And He still strikes wonder into all of our hearts every day, doesn't He? Lastly, I want us to look at the nurture of the Counselor. What is that word? What does it mean for Christ to be our Counselor? First thing is that as a Counselor, He commands a better way. He commands a better way. One of the problems that I have with modern uh, talk medicine, as you want to call it, counseling that doesn't revolve around the Scriptures, um, is that it's not a lot of counseling, it's more a lot of listening. When I, when I ask people to come and, uh, or people want to come and meet with me, I say, hey, have, you know, I'll talk to a couple or a person, hey, have you been to counseling before? And yeah, I've been to counseling, it wasn't really you know, biblical counseling. I say, well, what happened? Nine times out of ten, they'll say, they just kind of listened to me. They never really told me much to do. They just listened. And did that, I asked them, did that help? It made me feel better, but it didn't really change anything in my life. Thanks be to God that as our counselor, Jesus is one who commands who doesn't just sit there and listen to make us feel better, but He says, I've got a better way. He'll listen to your feelings. Sure, pour out your feelings to to Him. But He's not just about making you feel better. He's about calling you to obedience to the better way. Specifically, He has commanded in His Word how we are to live our lives. God cares too much for us to leave us in in heartless religion, to leave us in idolatry, and leave us trusting in man. He commands a better way. Psalm 1 says this, uh, starting with verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sets in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And listen to what this person is like. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons and its leaf does not wither. All it does, it prospers. So the description of someone, the description of someone who who listens to the counsel of God is someone who is healthy, someone who sends their roots down into, into the river of life and bears fruit in their life and, and doesn't worry about the drought because their roots are, are resting in a Savior, the wonderful counselor. As counselor, He's available. Hurting and perplexed people go to counselors. People that need help. They need guidance. 
I often tell counselees, I often tell counselees, hey, listen, whatever you need from me, whenever you need me, call me. Especially if they're in a very difficult spot. If they're just struggling, I say, hey, I will be there if you call me. Because I know they're going through a difficult time and they need me to be available. The reality is I can't. I mean, I've got four kids. I've got a wife, so I can't promise them absolutely every time you call, I will be available. But we know that Christ is always available. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, some of my favorite Probably my favorite verses about Jesus is this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace uh, to help in time of need. What an amazing thing that because of what Christ has done, that if we are in Christ, that the throne of God's grace is open to us in any moment of our need. And I have to tell people that counseling is not just for people at the end of their ropes, but the reality is that I feel like we all need counseling. We all need counseling. I believe we are in a perpetual state of need. We are sinners who sin every day, even if we are saved, we still sin every day. And our wonderful counselor is always available. In our times of need, the throne of His grace is always open for us to confidently come. Aren't you glad? Amen. That the throne of God's grace is open to us in our time of need. And lastly, as a counselor, He builds involvement. Uh, When I was getting my counseling certification, my supervisor, he loved to just hammer phrases into my mind and phrases so I would never forget them. And one of those was, you've got to build involvement with your counselees. When someone is coming to save their marriage, they need to know that you care about their marriage. When someone comes to you with, with an issue of suffering, they need to know that you're trying to understand their suffering. They need to know that you care. Let me tell you this morning that no counselor has ever built involvement like the wonderful counselor. For we are in need of much more than just someone telling us what to do. We needed someone to show us what to do. Christ came as a child and He grew and He lived in our world so that Not only when He could tell us what to do, He shows us what it looks like to do do obedience to God on this earth. But not only did He live the life so that we would know how to live it, 
He lived it for us. He, he maintained perfect righteousness so that if we would come to Christ, that perfect righteousness would be placed upon us. He's so much more than just someone who tells us what to do as a counselor. The wonderful counselor. Yes, He tells us what to do and He's shown us what to do and He's lived it for us so that we can have hope in the Gospel despite our sinfulness. We have His righteousness in Christ. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. And I want to ask you, please turn to the wonderful Counselor. Our refuge and strength and very present help in trouble. Listen, the fact of the matter is, is that if we were all honest, we would know and we would admit that if we don't need a counselor, we're going to need one in a few weeks. Right? Like, like nothing creates need in us like Christmas, right? Like the holidays. Thinking about the family that we know we're going to have to deal with. To think about the family budget and what we know that it's just the most expensive month of the year and we know that that budget's going to be blown up. And all the food prep for all the parties that we have to attend. And all the mouths we have to feed with our family and, and the presents that have to, we have to go and buy and, 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 and wrap up gifts. We all need counseling this time of year. And there's not enough earthly counselors to go around this time of year. And most of them charge way too much anyway. But we all have the king who was in the manger that grew to be the wonderful counselor. That in our time of need, whether in the holidays that creates lots of needs or throughout the whole year, that we have someone to fill our hearts full of awe. And we have someone to provide guidance to a better way, a better way of living, a better way of obedience. I'm going to ask that you please stand and just commit your hearts to the wonderful Counselor. Express your need of His counsel, of His help. Maybe you need to ask that, that God would not let this just be a routine Christmas, but that He would fill your hearts with wonder at who Christ was and, and is and what He did. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, I pray that we would have a Christmas where our hearts are filled with wonder. but that we're not just amazed by You, but that we turn to You and we ask as our Counselor to guide us, to help us to be obedient. God, everyone in this room is in rebellion. In some form or fashion, we all have, this, all have sin we're struggling with. And God, we need, we need help. There's more of our life that needs to be turned over to You. 
God, be our counselor. Guide us. Show us. God, show us our need and help us to turn to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.